And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Hi, good morning, Keith. Monday, March 13th. Certainly, uh, we have uh, a lot of information to, uh, to dissect and to digest this morning as uh, the events uh, at the end of last week with the uh, Silicon Valley Bank and uh, the events over the weekend with uh, the takeover by the FDIC of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and then the uh, after effects that we're seeing this morning with the weakness of the banking sector, uh, certainly a, a dynamic that uh, could uh, be a meaningful uh, inflection point or shift in terms of uh, the financial markets. Uh, we're certainly seeing that in the bond market this morning. Stock market uh, isn't sure how to react. So we are going to uh, try and uh, slice through all the news and talk about uh, the effects of uh, what's taken place and what this means uh, for investors and for portfolios and uh, what else is also happening this morning uh, outside of uh, the banking news we'll, uh, we'll touch on as well. So before we do that, because we need to take a step back and, uh, and really uh, look at things from, uh, from a distance and think about what has taken place and to try and focus on what is the fear, what is the greed, what is the concern, what is the opportunity. And as we do that, we are going to have uh, lots of uh, conversations today. Um, some will be with uh, business colleagues, some will be with uh, perhaps our financial advisors or our accountants, uh, our colleagues, um, and perhaps with our loved ones as well. And today, I think uh, a critical skill when we're talking to others, especially others who might be emotional, is to listen. And when we listen, uh, there is a magical number uh, when we're engaged in conversation as to how much we should be speaking and how much we should be listening. And that magic number is not 50-50. Um, that magic number is that we should be listening 57% of the time and speaking 43% of the time. And, of course, this is all uh, varies and each conversation is different. This is an average. Um, but when we do listen, we make others feel much better um, about the, the conversation that we have. And it will leave others more satisfied with you as, uh, as a person um, if you enable them to speak. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, had a uh, proclivity for uh, liking to get directly to the point. He did like to uh, listen. He was aware that lots of people uh, wanted to uh, tell him things and that they had lots of things on their mind. And he was often frustrated that uh, he felt that uh, a lot of people in the room were not listening. Um, many times, uh, Roosevelt, to illustrate the point when he felt someone wasn't listening, uh, would say, uh, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And uh, invariably, uh, most people would nod and smile and carry on as usual. He said only once did someone actually listen and replied, I'm sure she had it coming. Uh, Roosevelt no doubt had a point. A lot of the time, people hardly ever listen to what's going on in a conversation because instead they're getting ready to give their response. And the worst conversation is when both folks aren't listening and everyone's looking to get their point across, their idea across, um, and nobody is uh, is listening to each other. Everybody is actually just talking to one another. And if we allow others to talk about themselves, a study from Harvard University shows that it even gives us a similar kick as the sex, cocaine, and good food. Um, so if you're able to uh, able to actually back away for a moment and listen, um, those who you are speaking with uh, will uh, feel a lot better about you 
and you will probably have a lot better conversation with them. Now back to that 5347, uh, 5743 rule, um, another study uh, done by Research Labs analyzed uh, over 25,000 sales calls um, to tr try to dissect uh, what is the optimal uh, talking versus listening ratio. And what they found is that the highest uh, sales conversion ratio uh, was when uh, the salesperson was only speaking 53% of the time, listening, uh, uh, speaking 43% of the time, listening 57% uh, of the time. What they also found is that uh, when somebody uh, was speaking uh, more than 60% of the time, that or more, that led to the worst ratio of, uh, of sales, which is somewhat counterintuitive. You'd think, hey, I'm sharing all these uh, insights uh, with these folks. Uh, I'm certainly going to be successful. Um, take that in business. Take that in life. Uh, try, and, uh, try and let silence fall. In other words, uh, you don't feel like you have to fill every void. Ask questions. Uh, when you're engaged in conversation, so you're showing curiosity and you're showing uh, engagement, and empathize with the person on the other end of a conversation, um, and uh, in all likelihood, uh, you will have more successful conversations, you will get more out of conversations, and the person you're speaking to will be uh, much more content with you and the conversation. So today we will think about uh, listening and speaking less and uh, trying to uh, Speak with others who uh, may be uh, charged up uh, based on uh, what's taking place and their worries and their fears, uh, perhaps about their money. Um, and this morning, we truly do have uh, a, an event that uh, is, has the potential to, you know, change uh, uh, the course of the markets for the near term. Something that doesn't happen very often. Um, and it reminds me of a saying that uh, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, the former uh, Defense Secretary, said um, when he said it's not. What I don't know that scares me, it's what I don't know that I don't know. And when you think about Donald Rumsfeld's quote, um, it, what is it that nobody was expecting? What is it that was not priced in before today? Because if it's something that you're worried about today, you know about it. If it's something that's worried about today, if you're worried about the, the market is almost certainly aware of it as well, and it is priced into the valuation of the assets. Um, what we had take place at the end of last week is something that uh, surprised uh, almost every market participant. Uh, there's always a handful of folks uh, uh, with a concern, but uh, when you look at uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which is the bank that uh, uh, began uh, the, the sell-off in uh, the markets um, at the end of last week and the concerns about bank stocks, uh, Almost every analyst that followed it had it as a buy. Average price target was well north of 200. Um, um, many of us have heard that uh, Jim Cramer um, on his show Mad Money recently uh, was touting uh, the stock as well. Um, so what happened? What went wrong? What can we learn um, about uh, events that took place? So let's back up um, and take a look at uh, Signature Valley Bank and, uh, and see perhaps uh, what, uh, what did go wrong. Why, uh, why wasn't it seen? Could it have even been seen uh, in, a, in a real way uh, before? And, uh, and what can we do going forward? So it's been said that the Fed raises rates until something breaks. Um, and it looks like uh, at the beginning of uh, um, last week into the end of last week that something broke. Um, and what that was was uh, some uh, banks uh, in the uh, financial system. And a lot of the break uh, had to do with, uh, with events that took place because of rising rates. Um, but also because in the banking world, uh, fear is very contagious. 
There is not any upside uh, to not moving money when you're fearful. Um, so it's very easy these days to move money. And what takes place is, uh, is a panic. And the panic uh, um, is what, uh, is what uh, often does in uh, many financial institutions. So taking a look at uh, what, what happened and what has happened in the past, um, so we have uh, the discussion that uh, the Fed raises rates um, until something breaks, and that has lots of precedent. Um, what breaks is what's the complicating factor. So if you think about it, if you go back uh, to the early 1980s, the Federal Reserve was uh, raising interest rates, and several years later we had what I would say is most akin to the situation with Silicon Valley Bank, which was the savings and loan crisis where many uh, savings and mutual savings banks uh, were suffering uh, from uh, from an asset liability mismatch, and we saw a wave of bank failures as a result of Federal Reserve and Paul Volcker's uh, policy to raise interest rates. Then again, the Fed began raising rates again in the mid to late 80s, and uh, we had the stock market crash in 1987, uh, perhaps not a direct result of rising rates, but a contributory factor. And then later in the decade, we had uh, the junk market, uh, the high-yield market, which was fairly new. Uh, we had that market uh, implode, and we had the failure of uh, Drexel Burnham Securities. 1993, next time Fed's raising rates, um, another new product that was uh, on the marketplace were, uh, were collateralized mortgage obligations, or CMOs, which were uh, sliced and diced mortgages. And we saw a significant uh, drop in the price of, uh, of uh, CMOs or collateralized mortgage obligations. We had the failure of Orange County. Uh, we had the failure of a big investment bank, uh, Kidder Peabody. 1998, Fed's raising rates. What happens? We had a different event. We had uh, currencies crumble, the Russian ruble, the Thai bot, um, a uh, large uh, hedge fund with all sorts of Nobel laureates on its, uh, on its uh, investment committee called Long-Term Capital. Uh, was very leveraged, and uh, the tide came out. They were swimming without any clothes on, and uh, we had a crisis that the long-term capital potentially could bring down some uh, major financial institutions, and the Fed stepped in and cut interest rates. Then comes 2000. Fed's back to raising rates. Uh, stock market's uh, roaring. We have uh, the uh, dot-com uh, bubble uh, booming. And the rising interest rates, uh, in conjunction perhaps with the dot coms, just wearing themselves out. Um, and then we had uh, the events of 9/11, leading to uh, another uh, another crisis uh, in a rising rate environment. And then most recently, we had 2008 Fed's raising rates. Um, we had an event uh, that uh, there was lots of uh, leverage in the system, lots of excitement, perhaps due to low rates. Uh, housing prices uh, were uh, accelerating very rapidly. And uh, we had the housing crisis, which then led into the financial crisis, um, all as a result of rising rates. So here we are today, 2023, um, and we have an event uh, that I think was very hard to see. We have Silicon Valley Bank, uh, which, uh, which was the initial uh, bank to uh, fail in the financial system. And why did it happen? Well, in my opinion, um, it happened because of a classic bank run. Um, so when you look at a classic bank run, you've got two things going on at banks. You've got a depositor base, um, and then you've got an asset base, which are often loans and, uh, in this case, lots of securities. So what happened at Silicon Valley Bank? Let's dissect and take a look. Well, they had their deposit base, which is their, which is their liabilities, the people that they have to pay back. Um, well, that deposit base was very concentrated um, in Silicon Valley startups and venture capital firms, private equity firms. 
Um, and this was viewed as a great strength and a wonderful feature about Silicon Valley Bank. They'd been around for 45 years. They had ridden out um, just about every crisis that I had uh, previously uh, laid out to you. Um, they had successfully navigated. Um, so why did this crisis uh, become the one that uh, they met their demise during? Well, that strength of having a very concentrated deposit base with very notable clients that was uh, the envy of many um, outside of uh, Silicon Valley um, became its weakness. Uh, because this, this sophisticated client base was concentrated, they had lots of deposits. Uh, most of them had deposits well in excess of $250,000, which is FDIC insurance. Well, they had easy access uh, to their money, and they had lots of money there. They had easy access to the money partly because they were sophisticated. They had set up systems uh, to move money around because that's what uh, uh, Silicon Valley uh, companies do. They're taking money in. They're taking money out. Uh, they're meeting payrolls. Um, so they had systems already in place to access their funds. Um, so this led to a super fast uh, sucking sound or drain of funds as soon as there became um, any concern. Um, and you had this super concentrated group of people who all speak to each other um, and you had this thing called the Internet and social media, um, further exacerbating the concerns and information spreading super fast today. So suddenly you have uh, these uh, significant withdrawals. So what do you typically meet new withdrawals with? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you uh, pay back your depositors? Because after all, you need, uh, you need to be able to pay them back and you need to have invested their uh, capital in something uh, that has value. So in order to uh, meet these uh, withdrawals, first you probably have some cash and you give that cash to those folks. And then eventually you run out of that cash. And what do you need to do? Well, you need to start selling assets. Um, and uh, if you sell assets, you have to say to yourself, uh, well, how safe are the assets I'm selling? What's happened to their value? Am I going to make or lose money? And what happened in the case of Silicon Valley Bank is they took in so many assets in the last couple of years, 2020, 2021, when lots of money was flowing to uh, uh, to these uh, startup companies, um, and they needed to invest it uh, in order to earn net interest margin or spread. And what they did is they said, well, you know what, we're going to be really safe and conservative. Uh, they put a lot of that money into uh, these safe securities called uh, treasuries. Um, but the Federal Reserve was, uh, as we know, uh, raising interest rates. So what happens to those, uh, those treasuries when rates go up is they decline in value. Now, a quirk of uh, bank accounting is that uh, if you're a bank, and you own uh, bonds that are held for investment purposes, um, and they have a decline in value of 20, 30, 40%, whatever the number is, uh, you don't have to uh, record that loss, uh, even though your securities have declined in value, if you say that those securities are being held to maturity um, and you have no intention of selling them. But what happens when you suddenly need to sell them uh, because you're getting a wave of uh, people asking for their money? Well, at that moment, you do have to recognize the loss, and that's what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. They suddenly had to uh, sell securities. They had a $2 billion loss. Uh, they, uh, they went out to the marketplace and say, everything's fine. We've got a $2 billion loss uh, on our securities portfolio. We're going to raise some new capital um, in order to, uh, in order to uh, meet, uh, meet some of the uh, capital demands and uh, shore up our capital base. In normal times, perhaps uh, that would have been enough. Uh, folks would have uh, would, would have felt reassured, um, but with the benefit of hindsight, after the uh, after the uh, the issues that uh, an internet bank called Silvergate had, um, the fact that folks are already on edge with uh, rising interest rates, the fact that information spreads super fast, uh, well, that led to a crisis in confidence, and we had a situation where a bank that, uh, albeit, uh, um, had uh, short-term deposits and lots of them. 
um, in the bank, uh, and typically everybody doesn't ask for their money at once. Suddenly, everyone was asking for their money at once, and Silicon Valley Bank uh, was losing uh, losing deposits, uh, or they were, in a sense, uh, bleeding out faster uh, than uh, than the doctors could get blood into the patients. Um, and we had the situation where the government had to step in um, in order to uh, stop the bleeding, in order to uh, preserve as much uh, assets as possible that so, so Silicon Valley Bank wasn't uh, uh, pouring assets out into a declining market and uh, further uh, putting at risk its deposit base. And we had the government uh, take over the assets of Silicon Valley Bank. On Friday, we had lots of concerns. Well, what was going to happen for those uh, excess deposits, deposits that were in excess of $250,000? Were people going to get made whole? What was going to happen? Um, and what we learned over the weekend is that the government is going to backstop uh, not only Silicon Valley Bank, but uh, also depositors at Signature Bank. We also learned that the government's going to set up a facility where uh, folks can uh, deposit treasuries at other banks um, in order for those banks to be able to uh, meet the redemptions and to try and reinstate confidence in the system um, so that uh, there is not further panic. Now, this morning, of course, uh, we are seeing uh, uh, continued uh, worries and concerns in the banking sector um, as a uh, follow-up or knock-on to this. Uh, First Republic Bank, um, which is another San Francisco-based bank that caters to uh, the startups and Silicon Valley clientele, although um, by most reports, uh, not managed in the same way as Silicon Valley Bank. Nevertheless, that stock uh, down 50 to 60 percent last I looked this morning. Uh, PAC West and Western Alliance Bank, uh, each down uh, uh, about 30 percent. Charles Schwab, last I looked, was down another 10 percent. All of this is moving very fast, and uh, these uh, numbers and percentages uh, could be different uh, by now from just a few minutes ago. And there are many other regional banks that are down uh, about 10 percent uh, this morning. So. What does this mean? What's next? Um, how do we uh, how do we uh, think about uh, investing going forward? Um, well, one thing to think about is uh, if Silicon Valley Bank's uh, clients, which are startup companies, uh, were um, taking out their deposits, and in many cases uh, before the panic, they were taking money out uh, because they needed it to meet paywalls, um, and they weren't uh, taking in new money because uh, the markets, uh, the capital markets, for them was largely shut. And that was one of the main reasons that Silicon Valley Bank initially was getting uh, withdrawal requests was that the startups were taking out money at a fairly rapid rate um, and uh, weren't able to repl- replenish those coffers. One takeaway from that is um, that some of these startups uh, are starting to uh, to teeter. They're starting to burn through their cash, um, and that could have follow-on effects. Well, what could that mean? Well, that could mean that... Uh, uh, investors in, uh, in, in these startups like private equity and, uh, and business development companies that have lent money to startups, uh, may start to feel pain if these startup businesses, uh, do not recover in the near term. Um, if we were to see weakness in private credit, um, and private equity and business development companies, well, um, the next thing we might see is concern about traditional high yield. And, uh, and that cycle could, uh, could, uh, you know, lead to a further flight to safety in credit markets and a mentality um, that uh, that we need to keep our investments uh, even safer. Um, so these are the things uh, that we'll be monitoring, uh, you know, in this week and the next couple of weeks. Uh, critically important to uh, to be engaged with the, your financial professionals um, and to uh, and to have conversations. And hopefully, whomever you're speaking with uh, is listening 57% of the time. 
So where are we right now in financial markets uh, this morning? Let me uh, get a quick snapshot because everything is bouncing so fast. Uh, we are seeing uh, stocks uh, accelerate to the downside. Um, last night when uh, the uh, bailout news uh, began, um, we saw uh, futures uh, spike to the upside. We saw uh, Dow futures up north of 300. Well, now um, we're going the other direction. Dow futures are down about 300. Um, S&P futures are down about 40. NASDAQ futures are down 45. Um, we are seeing oil uh, down $3.45 or 4.5% as uh, this is leading to concerns about the, the overall economy and the growth of the economy. Um, but uh, perhaps most momentous and uh, and most uh, most uh, concerning for anyone who uh, perhaps is uh, is short treasuries is uh, the tremendous move that we are seeing this morning in the bond market. Um, we are seeing three-month treasuries down 30 basis points to 465. The six-month treasury is down 47 basis points. This is uh, um, unprecedented declines. Uh, 465 yield on the six-month treasury. The one-year is down over half a percent to 434. Ten-year is down 25 basis points to 345, and the 30-year is down 15 basis points to 354. Um, as the markets uh, price in the possibility, Goldman Sachs saying it this morning that they think the Fed will not raise rates. Uh, uh, the Fed uh, perhaps uh, did break something in the financial system and now has to uh, uh, try and uh, pick up the pieces and see what effect uh, the uh, this uh, this this action is going to have before making the next move. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what uh, what effects uh, this has and what influence uh, uh, we we see transpiring from uh, all the events this morning. Um, I spoke about the First Republic Bank uh, down about 50 points to 30 dollars a share. This is despite uh, the fact that uh, the Federal Reserve uh, um, uh, freed up uh, capital for them, and uh, that J.P. Morgan had also uh, provided capital to First Republic, symbol FRC. Um, but uh, the concerns uh, continue this morning. Uh, CGEN, symbol SGEN, is going to be acquired by Pfizer for $43 billion, at $229 a share. It's up about 20%. Uh, Tesla was downgraded to peer perform from outperform, down about 1%. Uh, Wells Fargo upgraded their competitor, J.P. Morgan, today. Uh, these big banks, uh, at least at the moment, look like they may be beneficiaries of uh, the fear that is pervasive in the markets. Uh, speaking to uh, clients over the weekend, I had uh, several clients express concerns with their existing uh, in financial institutions, uh, concerns about the banking system, and uh, were asking if they should move deposits to J.P. Morgan. So I think that uh, if I had several of those conversations, that uh, there's got to be a number of those conversations taking place uh, all throughout uh, the United States uh, uh, today. Uh, Boeing this morning is uh, moving slightly higher. Uh, reports that Saudi Arabia could be uh, making a, a large purchase of uh, Boeing jets. Um, we did have a, a takeover. Um, Qualtrics, symbol XM, is going to be acquired by uh, two private equity firms. Um, Sanofi uh, is going to be buying a biotech company, Prevention Bio, PRVB. That stock up over uh, 200%, 17 points to 24. Um, Meta this morning, um, taking uh, slightly higher on reports that they are planning additional layoffs. That's coming from the Wall Street Journal. And Applied Materials announcing that they're increasing their quarterly dividend uh, uh, by six cents a share, and it also announced a, a 10 billion uh, share repurchase. 
Um, in uh, international news, the People's Bank of China, Governor Yi was appointed to a, another five-year term. Uh, taking a look at uh, markets in Asia, they began on a mixed note. Hong Kong was up 2%, China was up 1%, um, and India down about 1%. In Europe, uh, markets lower across the board as uh, the defensive sentiment carries over from last week and as uh, the concerns from the U.S., uh, um, as that uh, travels uh, across the Atlantic, and we're seeing uh, declines in Europe anywhere between uh, 1.5 and 2%. Uh, British government is reportedly working on a rescue plan to guarantee loans to companies with money locked up in accounts at Silicon Valley Bank. Um, also uh, reports that uh, HSBC bought the uh, UK um, arm of Silicon Valley Bank, which is a separate corporate entity, um, for one pound um, for those uh, assets. Taking a look at uh, analyst uh, upgrades and downgrades, uh, Amgen was upgraded to overweight from equal weight at Wells Fargo. Eli Lilly upgraded at Wells Fargo. J.P. Morgan, I mentioned, upgraded at Wells Fargo. Uh, Moderna upgraded at Cowan. Uh, this morning, we are seeing uh, downgrades of uh, uh, Merck this morning at Wells Fargo, lowered their target to 115. And in the banking space, uh, we see downgrades of uh, KeyCorp, Hercules Capital, which is a uh, which is a uh, a company that uh, lends money to uh, Silicon Valley startups, uh, Comerica Bank, uh, weaker this morning, um, and British Tobacco was downgraded this morning at uh, at J.P. Morgan. So moving on, uh, just for a few minutes, and uh, um, but uh, I'll I will uh, uh, further uh, talk a little bit further about uh, what's taking place in the bond market. Uh, but what else is going on this week? It seems like uh, we covered uh, so much. Uh, already of what's already taken place and it's only Monday morning. Um, but uh, tomorrow we get the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics releasing the Consumer Price Index for February. Um, this was uh, going to be a showstopper in some importance uh, before uh, the uh, news of uh, the uh, banking sector. Um, it's expected that uh, we will see the CPI show a 6% increase uh, in February year over year. Um, and the core will show a uh, 5.5% uh, increase year over year. That's one-tenth of a percentage point less than the previous month. Um, before, um, after the employment report on Friday, which uh, had some uh, mixed results, uh, perhaps some uh, encouragement in the sense that uh, perhaps employment wasn't growing as robustly as possible. Um, all ironic as that sounds, that's a positive. Um, so um, because of uh, some of those uh, mixed results from that employment report, the uh, CPI would be a bigger uh, result uh, tomorrow. Uh, but with all this uh, other news affecting financial markets and concerns about the future, um, probably get a little less attention than it would have. Um, Wednesday, we get PPI, the producer price index. Um, we also get retail sales for February. Retail sales came in very strong in January, expecting to see a slight decline of about three-tenths of 1% after a 3% gain last month. Thursday, we get a little bit of a, a color from companies on the uh, overall economy when Dollar General and FedEx hold conference calls to discuss their uh, quarterly uh, results. Barron did talk about the, uh, the, the tumult in the banking sector um, and uh, did suggest that uh, there could be opportunity in big bank stocks as a result of the uh, sell-off in uh, some of the stocks that are causing the uh, greatest uh, worry, um, suggesting that the large banks may not have the same issues as banks like Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, larger banks like Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo have much more diversified client bases and funding sources, 
Larger banks are also subject to much tighter regulations since the global financial crisis and are subject to annual stress tests in which they have to prove their durability in myriad negative economic scenarios. Uh, their business mixes uh, also look nothing like those of Silicon Valley Bank, which, uh, as I mentioned, funded long-dated fixed-rate assets uh, with variable-rate funding, and this was all taking place in a rising interest rate environment. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that banks won't feel some pain from the current dynamics, uh, as we witnessed last week and certainly are continuing to witness this morning, um, far from it. Um, but uh, there may be opportunities even in the regional banks in this sell-off, uh, those who have the highest quality assets, who have managed their asset liability exposure the most uh, judiciously, um, may be the ones that uh, rise from the ashes uh, and uh, appear and are um, the greatest uh, greatest opportunities um, in the current uh, in the current crisis. Um, but um, we need to be judicious. We need to do our research, um, but we need to be cognizant that uh, that uh, oftentimes uh, in the moments of greatest fear lies uh, the greatest opportunity. Um, changing gears to a uh, technology stock that in, uh, in Barron's uh, uh, is uh, Dell Technologies, symbol D-E-L-L. Many of us know Dell from uh, at one time in our lives or perhaps currently owning one of their uh, PCs. Um, Dell trades uh, right now um, at about seven times next year's earnings, the lowest valuation of any tech company. Uh, stock trades at about one-half uh, of enterprise value to revenue, um, again, among the lower readings of, uh, of large technology companies. Of course, there are reasons for the low valuation. The PC market is in a uh, deep post-COVID uh, funk. Corporate enterprise spending, uh, things that uh, Dell makes, is certainly under pressure as IT departments tighten their belts in anticipation of a slowing economy. And uh, the effects of that were witnessed recently when Dell reported their financial results and gave guidance going forward. Uh, for next year, Dell sees revenue down between 12 and 8%, uh, considerably worse than the 10% Wall Street that was projecting. And yet, Dell uh, co-chief operating officer Chuck Witten recently uh, voiced uh, many reasons for optimism, uh, saying that PC sales, which boomed uh, during 2020 and 21, have uh, reversed course. Uh, but he says um, he doesn't expect that continue for long. Um, every information worker needs a modern PC. Um, most PCs that uh, are in the marketplace now were bought uh, around uh, the uh, beginning of COVID. Um, and they are now approaching uh, their average lifespan, which is three years. Um, so it's very possible we could be looking at another replacement cycle and a meaningful replacement cycle um, because so many of those PCs had been purchased uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the company, uh, he also notes, has gotten aggressive with its capital return program um, on pro as promised after it completed its spinware of VMware. Uh, Dell has returned $4.5 billion to shareholders since September of 21. That includes stock buybacks, uh, $2.8 billion in the latest fiscal year, and dividends with a quarterly payout that was recently increased the stock, uh, yielding close to 4%. Over the last year, he said they have bought back 64 million shares, and he said we, not have, we would not have done that if we didn't think uh, that uh, our company um, Dell Computers was a uh, was a good buy. Um, is the thinking there? Um, so today um, we will listen, we will observe, um, and we will uh, seek out uh, where there may be opportunities, and we will be mindful of where there are pitfalls. Um, today is one of those days to uh, to take a step back, take a deep breath, 
to focus, to concentrate, uh, to not immediately react doesn't mean that there is not things to react to. It doesn't mean that there are not actions to be taken, but think first, reflect, and then after you've uh, carefully thought through things with a clear, rational head, uh, that is the time uh, to uh, to take action if, if uh, you feel it is wanted and necessary. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.